welcome everyone to another episode of the DL. I am your host, Tyler Robertson, also the CEO and founder of Diesel Laptops. Today's episode, we're doing things a little bit different. I got no guests here. I'm going solo. And I can say this as well. If you're watching on YouTube, we're going to have some great PowerPoint slides that kind of go up as we talk through this. So I was recently asked to give a presentation on technology changes and impact. And the audience was more about people that represent heavy duty parts manufacturers. And I'm going to give you through my lens. And I can tell you this, you're going to listen to this episode or watch it. And you're going to think either I'm absolutely crazy and off my rocker, or maybe I'm onto something. But we'll see. It's hard to say where the future goes. I just want you to know where I'm coming from and what we see happening and how it's impacting what we're doing at Diesel Laptops and the future of where we are going. So first of all, I always want to set the stage for everyone. Diesel Laptops, a lot of people know us as this company that does this whole thing in the diagnostic space, right? We have diagnostic tools. We do all these things and sell all these tools. We're diesel laptops, right? That's what we do. There's also two other parts of our company that were kind of built independently. One of those is diesel repair. So this is a separate division of our company. We employ a lot of people just making repair content. And that makes a lot of sense because if you have diagnostic tools that tell you the fault codes or tell you what tests you should do, you need repair information to look up wiring diagrams, remove and replace instructions, labor time guides, all those other components that you need. Those go really hand in hand. And there's already companies that do that where they connect those two pieces. And there's some companies that just build each individual piece of that. Uh, and then the third piece of the puzzle is the parts. No matter what you're doing when you're fixing a truck, you need parts. So that's another division of our company called Diesel Parts. And again, we have a platform called Diesel Parts. And the interesting thing here is for people that don't realize is I come from an OEM dealership world. And when I was a service manager at an OEM dealership, we had customers that or we had software, right, to hook up to commercial trucks and we would do the diagnostics. And then we would go to a completely different platform, a completely different system to actually get repair information for those trucks. And then we had to go to a completely different system again or a different department inside our own organization to figure out what parts we needed for that. So it ended up being a really complicated, time-consuming thing that we had to go through with disjointed data where it's all over the place. So what Diesel Laptops is doing, and this is no secret, we're trying to put all those together, right? So customers should be able to go from a fault code to repair information to parts information in minutes. So that's kind of the lens we're going to be looking through as we kind of go through this entire thing. And I really want to start talking first, though, about parts retailers. So I worked at a truck dealership. I worked there for over a decade, or even decade and a half between the two companies or three companies I work for. And they have a lot of big challenges that are coming up. So if you've ever bought parts, you're already experiencing the symptoms of this. Long wait times, parts not in stock, and they just seem to be struggling. And what's going on here? Why is that happening? Why can't they hire more people? Why can't they be more efficient at getting parts? Well, I'm going to tell you what's happening and the challenges they have that they're going through. Number one, they have a whole problem with all the baby boomers. Uh, a lot of time people jokingly refer to them as the no hair, gray hair population inside the dealership. They are retiring. And we're going to talk about what's really changed here in the last 18 months because of COVID and how that sped up everything. Then there's the other challenge of where are all the new entrants going to come into that actually help people figure out what parts they need to buy to fix their vehicles. Those people, there's not a lot of training out there. That's another challenge we're going to talk about. And then we're going to talk about the third big challenge they have facing them, and that's e-commerce. And when I say e-commerce, the big one that people always think about is Amazon. So there's these three big things that are really challenges at a big macro scale for people that sell parts. And we're going to talk about this first through the lens of automotive. So if you're in the HD industry, 
we always know and we always say HD is 10 to 15 years behind automotive. I don't think that's the case today with the way things are going, how fast they're going, but that's been true for a long time. And you can look back at a lot of things when vehicles went electronic, you can look at when safety systems were involved, you can now look at electrification. All these things just take a little bit more time to happen into the HD world for a variety of reasons. But let's specifically talk about e-commerce and let's just see what happened in the e-commerce world in the automotive space, right? So I can tell you, and you, you may be surprised, maybe you won't be surprised when you hear this stat, but in the year 2020, Amazon sold $10 billion in truck parts. Now we're gonna compare that number to some of the traditional automotive manufacturer or parts retailers as well here in a second. But the part you need to know is Amazon's did that in 2020. That was a 30% increase from the year before, right? And it's probably a 30% increase in 2021. Amazon is growing that fast. Most customers are doing it with mobile devices and they are by far the largest retailer of parts online. They have 180 warehouses across the United States. They want growth. They see what's going on in automotive. They want a piece of that pie and they're getting a piece of that pie. And I can tell you already today, if you go on Amazon and you look for HD parts, they are on there, right? And there's some other challenges we're gonna talk about on finding the right parts for your HD world. But just realize Amazon's a big part of what's going on in the automotive industry and they are gunning for the HD industry. But it's not just Amazon. Amazon by far the biggest online, but you also have eBay. eBay does between six and $7 billion a year in automotive parts. There's another company called carparts.com. You may have never heard of them. They're actually publicly traded. They're on, the, they're on NASDAQ. They do $630 million a year in automotive parts on the internet. And that's at a 32% growth rate. So they are growing very, very fast as well. You also have these other players like Rock Auto. Nobody knows what they do. It's not public information. People think it's somewhere between 150 million to 250 million a year. Personally, I think it's even a little bit higher. Then you have other people that get into the marketplace business, right? So Walmart's trying to become Amazon. Amazon's trying to become Walmart by buying brick and mortar stores. There's that whole battle going on. So you have these 30% growth rates that are growing on with Walmart. They're growing their marketplace at 30%. Carpart's growing at 32%. Amazon growing at 20 to 30% every year. How does that compare to the traditional automotive retailers? And there's really the big four you need to know about. Napa, Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and O'Reilly's. Those big four control roughly 75% of all the automotive parts purchased in brick and mortar stores. If you go on Google Maps and you type in auto parts stores near me, you'll be hard pressed to find independent automotive parts retailers still in existence. They've all been pushed out by these big four for a lot of reasons. And those big four are serious players. They are growing anywhere between seven and 25% year over year. They're doing anywhere from 10 billion to 17 billion a year in parts. So the part I'm trying to get across to everybody here is if you look at the automotive world, what do you see? You see very big publicly traded companies doing billions and billions a year in truck parts. You see online entrants, Amazon and car parts, grabbing billions of dollars a year in parts and growing fast 30% year over year. And that's just from the retailer side. And then the question is, is people are like, man, how do retailers do that? How do they do that on the automotive side? And it really comes down to data. There's a thing called aces and pies. I've had some other guests on the podcast show where they've talked about aces. They've talked about pies. Pies is product information, essentially. Uh, what color is it? What size is it? Uh, how many fit on a pallet? What materials it made out of? You get the idea. 
you need to have that if you're selling parts online so people can catalog and look at things and, and know what they are. The other piece of it is ACES. So ACES is essentially what does it fit? What year make model does this widget go on? In the automotive world, if you go to rockauto.com or Amazon or eBay or any of these sites and you start looking for parts, they're not asking you for part numbers. They're asking you for a VIN or a year make model. And then they're showing you based on what you inputted, what parts you need, right? So you put your year make model, your VIN, and then you say, oh, I need something in the steering system. And oh, I need this exact component. And then they populate it and show you, oh, here's everybody that makes these. Rock Auto is very, very good at it. They got a great platform out there. Amazon does the exact same thing. And so does eBay. That's why they're asking for your year make model. And the only reason they're able to show you exactly what part you need to buy is because those automotive manufacturers have completed their ACEs and PIES tables essentially and provided that to those resellers. So those resellers then create a tool using ACEs and PIES to show you what you need for your vehicle. And why this is important is because that data standard does not exist for HD trucks. They're trying and COVID really sped it up, but that's really the big holdback up in our industry, isn't it? When you need to get a part for an HD truck, you don't know the part number. You just know what you need and the lookup tools that have existed have been very, very sparse or non-existent. And that's a big part of what we do on our diesel parts platform. So if you want to see what it looks like in the HD world, head to parts.diesellaptops.com and you can see that in action. So the reason I'm showing you all this is because I just described to you what the automotive retail scape looks like and why they're successful doing it online. They need the data. And now let's look at what is happening. Let's follow the money. What is going on in the automotive industry with the automotive manufacturers, right? Who are these people that are selling a lot of parts online? How are they doing it? And let's look at a couple examples. So the first I'm going to talk to you about is a company called Tenneco. Again, publicly traded company. They do about $19 billion a year and they do light duty and they do heavy duty. So some of the brands the heavy duty guys would recognize is Federal Mogul, Walker Exhaust, National Seal, Monroe. Those are all owned by Tenneco. And this company also does a lot in the automotive space as well, actually way more in the automotive space. But again, realize you have a publicly traded company that has 19 billion a year in revenue and a lot of money in their pocketbooks to go do things that they want to do. And they're actually going to be splitting off uh, a lot of those parts into their own, their own standalone company while they focus on their, their OE segment as well, because they make parts for OEs as well, the original equipment manufacturers for automotive and heavy duty. So there's a big player there. Another big player in this space is Dorman. If you hadn't heard or you don't know who Dorman is, let's just set the stage there first. Dorman does about $1.2 billion a year in parts. Their big customers are all four of those customers I mentioned earlier. The O'Reilly's, the Napa's, the AutoZones. That is their customer base that drives the majority of their revenue. If you read through their financial reports, their annual statements, and I've read through them, you'll find out that only about less than 11% of their sales are not automotive. And they kind of group their HD sales and kind of this wholesale division of their company together. And they say automotive does 89%, HD and this other thing do about 11 you got to assume probably it's half and half HD and that, that wholesaling part of their thing. Maybe it's more. But at the end of the day, they don't do a lot in the heavy-duty space. But they've been talking about it. If you read through all of their quarterly reports, their CEO mentions it every single time. Heavy-duty is an opportunity for growth. Heavy-duty is an opportunity for growth. And really look at a company like Dorman. If all of your customers, your biggest customers that control 75% of the market are already buying all your products, where do you go for growth? You have to find new industry segments. 
you already have all the customers in the one segment. You got to go find new segments, right? Or find new products to do. And that's why you see Dorman and make announcement after announcement of new product lines and new products that they have. Those are their opportunities. And Dorman's been saying it forever in their press releases, their statements, their 10 Qs, uh, 10Ks, all these things. And what did Dorman just do? They just went out and spent $338 million to buy Dorman to buy Dayton parts. So if you're not familiar with Dayton, you probably recognize the name. They make a lot of axle end parts, brake parts, that type of thing. Plus they distribute other parts as well. Uh, but so Dorman basically went through and said, look, we're going to go spend almost $350 million. We are going to be in the HD business. And you look at Dorman, now they went from having two warehouses to seven warehouses. Every press release they've talked about there, you know what they talk about? We're now one to two day ship time from all of our customers, right? You can just see and read between the lines on what they're trying to do there. So the question you have to ask yourself, if you're Dorman and all your big customers are automotive manu automotive retailers, and now you just spent $338 million to buy Dayton parts, who would you go talk to to go sell HD parts? I'd probably go to my existing customers that do a lot of business and say, hey, why don't you do a line extension? So my guess is we see Dorman going out there and doing those things. And again, that's just pure speculation on my part, but I'm trying to follow the money and see what happens here. So let's talk about another one that's publicly traded, Standard Motor Products, SMP. 1.1 billion a year in revenue. And the irony here is Dorman and SMP do almost the exact same amount in revenue each year, and they both got started in the same year, 1919. So these are pretty interesting to see what's happening here. But SMP, they're traditionally uh, automotive as well. They do some in the, in the HD space. But you know what they just bought? They just spent $108 million from a company called Trumbetta. I had never heard of Trumbetta. I had to look them up. I had to look them up to see like, what do these guys actually do? You know what they do? They do everything except automotive. They do ele electronics and different systems with a focus on electric vehicles, the HD space, and agriculture and construction equipment. So again, follow the money. Dorman just spent $338 million for Dayton Parts. SMP just spent $108 million for Trumbetta. What is going on here? These are well-funded, well-capitalized, profitable companies putting a stake in the ground saying, we are going to be getting into the HD business. Let's look at another example, LKQ. I think a lot of people think of LKQ from 10 years ago, where they had an establishment of uh, essentially scrapyards and junkyards and selling used parts. Today, LKQ does over almost 13 billion a year in revenue, thousands of employees. And again, they're traditionally automotive, but you look at, they own LKQHeavyTruck.com where you can buy parts. They own a company called Platinum HD. They are in the heavy duty space as well. And again, a well-funded very smart, professionally managed company. You add up Dorman, SMP, LKQ, Tenneco. I look at these things and I got to say to myself, these auto guys, they know they need to get there for growth. They either got to go international, they have to acquire companies or find new business segments. The interesting thing with LKQ is they've done over 270 acquisitions over the last decade or so. One of them being a company called Elite Electronics. Elite Electronics, they do remote diagnostics in the automotive space. So all these guys are looking and bobbing and weaving, trying to figure out how do we grow our business? What acquisitions can we make? How do we keep this thing going? And trust me, they are going to figure it out. Their stockholders demand it, right? They are based off a lot of these executives, these companies, they're paid off stock price and growth and these other things. So they are going to be spending money and time going there. Let's look at the other challenge that we talked about. And that's the heavy duty truck, the, the parts professional. So I know if you're on podcast, you can't see this. If on YouTube, you can. We got a meme up there, right? And it's a picture of uh, basically says wiper blades. 
And then you have the parts guy asking on the other end, is that an automatic or manual transmission? They have nothing to do with each other, except they have such great data at the automotive level because they have those aces and pies tables. What they're able to do is build tools for their employees to allow them to not really know much about what they're talking about, but to just follow the clicks and show you what part you need and sell you that part. They're able to do that because they have data. And here's the interesting thing about the automotive space. The average wage for someone working on the parts counter at a retail shop, a Napa's, Riley, AutoZone, those places, is around 17 bucks an hour. These are not highly compensated positions. I mean, you have, let's face it, McDonald's and these other places offering 15 bucks an hour to work in fast food, and the automotive space is getting away by paying not much more in their space. And those are average wages. Obviously, there's more that make, there's some that make more and some that make less. But they're only able to do that because they have the technology, they have the resources to do that and facilitate that. And then the interesting thing I want to talk about as well is what's happened to all the baby boomers. We all know there's about 2 million, maybe you don't know, but there's about 2 million people a year that retire that are in that baby boomer age range between born between 1946 and 1964. So you have 2 million people a year. Well, guess what happened when COVID hit? All of a sudden it went from 2 million to 6 million. And you have this huge shortage of people that pretty much said, I'm out. It's not worth keep going. We had the pandemic. We had the lockdowns. All those things affected not only automotive, but they affected, and they affected HD as well. So what I'm trying to get across here is a lot, of different, a lot of different points. If you look at what happened in the automotive industry, the big four have pushed out independent auto retailers. Again, I challenge you, go on Google Maps, type in your city name and auto parts retailer. I will be surprised if you find one out of every 10 that's a truly independent. And the ones you find are usually specialized vintage parts, they're a transmission shop that also sells parts. Uh, they have they're a brake, they remanufacture brakes. They have some other little niche in their business, vintage parts, whatever it is. You know publicly traded companies, those ones on the stock market, they are focused on their stock price. They're focused on growth. They're focused, their goal is to keep their stockholders happy. They need growth. And I think when they look at it, they, rep, they know e-commerce and heavy duty represent the largest growth opportunity that they have. Amazon's coming, Walmart's coming. Hell, they're already there. In a lot of cases, they're bigger than those existing places that have the brick and mortar stores. And guess what? Running an e-commerce department, much more cost effective and scalable versus the brick and mortar option. Those large players have access to billions of dollars in capitals. And my speculation here is these automotive first companies, they're going to go right over to those other companies and just talk about line extensions. To me, I think it's an inevitable thing. You already see, I know there's Napas out there that already sell HD parts. I think you'll see more of that type of stuff coming and hitting the market. And you have your, compound that with the fact that the experienced parts professionals are retiring and there's no new clear path to bringing in new parts professionals, right? So I think all of those things are undeniable facts. I, I may not be right about the line extensions. That's a speculation part, but the fact is the rest of it is true. You kind of put that all together and there's some strong headwinds going against people that sell heavy duty parts. We have a really fragmented industry today. And let's talk about another big one that I think a lot of people don't see coming. And to us at Diesel Laptops, we think this is a fairly obvious thing that's happening in our industry. So if you've ever owned a truck or worked in a truck, you know what the process is today, but let's talk it out. A truck breaks down. Truck goes to repair shop or a mobile guy goes out to it. Then they perform diagnostics. Then they order their parts and then the truck is repaired. This is the reactive model. This is the model we've all had and been used to for years. If your cars ever broke down, you've probably been used to this as well. 
nobody likes it, right? Except for the people doing the repairs because it keeps them busy. But now it's created days and weeks of backlogs at dealerships. We have, why has that happened? It happened for all the reasons we just talked about. Untrained technicians, a lack of information and diagnostic tools. We have a technician shortage going on. You can pound all that together in an economy we have going on right now where basically freight demands at an all-time high. It is just creating a huge backlog of opportunity for people to actually work on trucks. So that's today. But the question is, is where is it going, right? We, we know where it's at today. What is changing the world, how this, how this is happening? And here's the thing. It starts with the truck itself. So we're all, all used to this reactive model. What's now happening is there's data coming off the vehicle. Well, who's monitoring that data? Call centers. And what are those call centers doing? They're taking a look at that data, and they're now able to figure out what's going on with the vehicle. They're able to do diagnostics remotely. They're able to look at that data and come up with repair plans. They're able to figure out what parts they're going to need to fix that truck. And they're getting ahead of it. And in some cases, they get ahead of it before the truck even breaks down. We'll talk about that here in a second with what we see going on with some of these uh, prognostic companies. Now the truck goes to the shop, and that shop is being told, here's what's wrong with it, here's the parts, go fix it. And then that call center is managing the repair plan, and then the vehicle is repaired. So this proactive model is much better for some of the people. It's much better for the people that actually own the vehicles. It's eliminating downtime, it's keeping their vehicle on the road, uh, but it changes a lot of things. So when we talk about these things coming off of the vehicle, I just need to, I guess, take a minute here to talk about what can you do with that data? That's great, Tyler. We're getting data off the vehicle, but what are people doing with it? Well, there's a lot you can do with it if you really stop and think about it. Fleet health monitoring. I can monitor the health of all my vehicles at all times, no matter where they are in the United States or North America or whatever country it is. I can do advanced preventive maintenances. Uh, again, we'll talk about a company here in a second that's actually able to take that data off your vehicle, the raw data, and analyze it before a fault code happens or a mechanical issue happens and tell you, hey, you're about to have a problem. That stuff is real. It exists today. We're seeing it. We're doing it. I would not, was not a believer of it six months ago. I can tell you I am today. Advanced fuel analytics. We can see what's going on with fuel economy with our fleets and analyze it by driver or by region or by temperature range. We can monitor our tire pressures remotely to know what's going on, make sure our drivers are safe and blowouts aren't going to happen. We can do over-the-air programming and update ECMs and change road speeds and do all these advanced things over the air to modify the vehicle. You see Tesla doing that all the time. They have a problem. You know what they do? They don't do a recall. They do a software update and they push it out across their organization, across the entire fleet of Teslas out there. Now they're going to have gateways. So you already see companies that are doing third-party connections. So you can work with Navistar to get their data for your customers into your platform and do these things. The rise of the virtual technician is now starting to happen where shops can't get technicians in the shop. Now they can rely on services to actually remotely help diagnose and do those things. And of course, you can do performance and safety analysis as well. So getting data off the vehicles is a very big deal spawning a whole new set of businesses that are happening out there. So when I go back to what changes in that reactive process, the one that I see that really impacts a lot is those repair shops and the people that are selling parts. So because now those people that sell parts are used to selling to the repair shops, in my opinion, what changes here as data is coming off the vehicle, you now have a call center somewhere else making decisions on where that vehicle goes and what parts they need and where those parts are purchased from and what brands they buy. So all of a sudden, it's a shift in the entire parts purchasing experience, and that's going to have a big downstream effect on a lot of people uh, in certain organizations as that happens. 
So the people always ask me, like, how far out in the future is this? And I can tell you, this isn't a future thing. This is already a today thing and a past thing. It's already happening. So some examples here. Packard, in June of last year, they now offered free for every new truck purchase their Truck Tech Plus remote diagnostics. What is tech, Truck Tech Plus? That is them monitoring your vehicle and telling you what you have going on, in some cases, before you have a problem. Volvo and Mac, they've been doing this for a while. In October of last year, they already announced there was 350,000 connected vehicles on their network, and they had logged more than 1 billion fault codes coming off those vehicles. That is an insane amount of data that these guys are crunching through and doing remotes on. Navistar, in November, they said, hey, we're going to make intelligent fleet care standard for five years when you buy a truck from us. And again, what is intelligent fleet care? It is remote diagnostics, monitoring the data coming off the vehicles. Freightliner, they've been starting this. It's Daimler Chrysler, right? Or Daimler at one time. 2016, they were doing this. In 2016, they announced they had, by actually, they started in 2016. By, two, by 2017, they had over 200,000 trucks on their platform already. So you can just imagine where they're at today. So these things are already happening at the OEM level. And of course, the OEMs want to control as much of that as possible. They want to control the experience. They want to make sure that customer buys another one of their trucks. They want to make sure they buy their brand. They want to make sure they're taken care of. They're working with their dealer network to make sure that happens. So how do you compete? Well, here comes the aftermarket world, right? So let's walk through a couple examples of what's going on and what we see in the aftermarket world when it comes to managing this data. So there was a big announcement in February between a company called Uptake. Uptake is very well funded. Berkshire Hathaway is one of their investors. They made a big deal with Pepsi. Pepsi went through a trial where basically Pepsi was sending their data as the vehicles were driving down the road to Uptake. Uptake's monitoring the data. And Uptake, in this case, was able to preemptively predict a bunch of failures before they actually occurred. So they went through a trial period with Pepsi where Pepsi was driving these around. They would say, hey, you're about to have a head gasket failure. Pepsi brought it in the shop without any symptoms tore it down, and lo and behold, uptake was correct. There was an inevitable failure, prevented much further damage to the vehicle, and again, eliminated that unexpected downtime is what they were trying to improve. So uptake, uh, this is a a company in 2017, publicly traded, not publicly traded yet, but it's out there. They got a valuation somewhere around $2.3 billion. So this is not somebody in their garage or dining room table figuring out these things. These are well-funded, professionally managed companies that are doing some serious work out in that business. And we had someone from Uptake on with one of our previous episodes, if you want to listen to them as well. They're a great organization. They are some very smart and talented people that know what they are doing. Geotab, uh, back in September of last year, they announced they had over 2.1 million connected vehicles that are out in the market where their, their device was installed doing a bunch of various applications, much of those ELDs and other things. Diesel laptops, our own company. We have a call center staff with now 50 employees, and that's all we do is we help people remotely fix their trucks. We help them with their laptops. We have diesel technicians. There's diesel technicians are helping our customers. We're remoting into their laptops, seeing what they see, and helping them come up with repair plans. That's part of what we do here. In, and it's not just us. In February of this year, uh, Norgon announced their technician as a service launched. So for an extra fee, you if you are a Norgon customer, you could pay Norgon a monthly fee and have access to their diesel technicians. I will say this, we do it for free with our customers. They charge a fee. We each have different business models. But as you can see, we're not the only ones doing it. Samsara, they make all kinds of devices that are in the cab, in the trailer. They recently got a $5.4 billion valuation back in February. And then we have the the brands we sell. Texa, in April of 2018, Texa launched their e-truck. 
their e-truck device, you can plug that into a vehicle. And then on a web page, I can look at that vehicle and I can even send, I can see all the data coming in and I can even initiate remote commands. I can initiate remote DPF regens. I can do other commands on that vehicle from a website versus me being in the cab of the vehicle. And they've expanded that now into the off-highway equipment world. Kujali, they have their T TVOD device, right? Total vehicle onboard diagnostics. So same thing, they announced that in February. They have this device that will that does the same thing. So as you can see, it's not just the OEMs, it's the aftermarket people coming at it from a bunch of variety of angles saying, hey, we want to get in the game as well. So one of the devices we have here at Diesel Laptops is our diesel decoder. We announced that in partnership with Dorman. So Dorman actually distributes that product for us. And Dorman has done a tremendous job of selling these things. But you can now buy a Bluetooth device for 360 bucks that you can plug into your diagnostic port. And within minutes, you can see your repair information for that fault code. And I can tell you within a matter of months, you will also see the OEM part number that you need to buy. And you can see the available aftermarket alternatives for that part as well. So what I'm saying here is people will now have the ability to, in less than three minutes, to go from fault code to the part number they need to buy with aftermarket alternatives to fix their truck. So the speed and the process of which these things happen is massively speeding up. And of course, where do you think we're going? It's no secret where we're going. Now we have diagnostic tools. We're building the parts platform. Why can't we go build an e-commerce platform and marketplace? We have people out there that we know need parts. We have people that want to sell parts online. We will be having a marketplace that connects buyers and sellers together. So if you're listening to this and you're interested in talking to us about selling parts online through our platform, our marketplace, please get a hold of us. We would love to have those conversations with you. You can go to parts.diesellaptops.com to find out more about that. But I can tell you by the end of the year, we'll be in beta test. We already have sellers signed up. We're already connecting our repair information to their parts. And of course, our part numbers will be embedded in diagnostic tools. So for us, the big step is saying, look, we're going to go from fault code to part number in minutes. And you'll see a lot of things happening in that world. And it's really amazing what you can do with all this data. So if you're a retailer that sells parts, here's some things we've been able to do for some of the clients we work with. For example, we have a customer out there that sells about $20 million a year in parts. So call that a little north of $1.5 million a month. They had about $2.8 million in inventory. And by using our data, they were we were able to show them, here's how you can save $600,000 a year and put it right to your bottom line. And part of that's through reduced inventory. And part of that through is not selling your parts at the right margin. We have another retailer that was smaller, only does about $1.8 million in parts a year. So a little over $100,000, $150,000 a month. Uh, but again, we were able to show this retailer over $80,000 in savings they can do over the next couple years to really increase, increase their bottom line by not selling any more parts, but get the right parts on the shelf and sell them at the right margin. On the flip side of that, you have fleets. We just did an analysis for a pretty large fleet, over a thousand trucks. They do over $4 million a year in purchasing and have over a million dollars in inventory across all their locations. And what we found with these guys is they could easily go save uh, over $65,000 a year just by consolidating their vendors down. So in this case, this vendor is buying the same part from three different manufacturers and from multiple different sellers. And the pricing's all over the board. They don't they didn't even realize those parts were all the same thing. And we have software that can do those things. And then not only that, but we said, hey, by the way, do you know there's a bunch of OEM parts here that you could potentially buy an aftermarket? And there's over $50,000 a year in savings they can do just by switching the brands they buy for certain parts. So again, having clean data allows you to do a lot of crazy, crazy things. 
which are all good things, but you just need to be aware that they're happening. So here's what we see at the end of the day. COVID-19 didn't change anything on what was going to happen with the online e-commerce, except to change the trajectory and change how fast it was going to happen. Those things are going on. They are happening. Automotive, automotive retailers and manufacturers, manufacturers are already getting pushed into HD. I don't think it's long before the retailers come in right behind them. Those are all the same customers of theirs. I think they're going to be hitting, hitting into the HD world. I don't think parts decisions will be made by repair shops in the future. Yeah, they'll still be making some, but I think they're going to see more and more of call centers making the decisions on where the parts are bought from and sourcing them themselves and have them just show up. Tools are coming into the market that allow buyers and repairers to look up their own parts. I think that's a huge game changer in our industry. Through all of this, people keep asking us as we talk to people, what do we need to do to survive? How does that change what we should do? And I'll say this in a couple different ways. Parts manufacturers... They need to work on brand awareness. I know when I went online, I needed some parts for my car. I didn't really care what brand it was because I didn't know the difference between any of them. I think brands really, part manufacturers need to increase their brand awareness and make people realize who they are and what they stand for as their brand. Are they the cheap, low-cost alternative? Are they high quality? Are they somewhere in the middle? Do they provide value adds, total cost of ownership? Where are they in the, in the, in the, in the scale of things? Those are things they need to work on. And I'll say retailers need to change. If you're a parts retailer listening to this, you need to provide value or pick a niche. You cannot go the way of automotive. So if you're selling parts and your whole way to get more parts is send out more parts people and just underbid everybody else and sell by price, you are going to have a very long road ahead of you. Maybe it's not even long because you'll be out of business. You need to figure this out. You cannot compete on price. You have to find another way to provide value or pick a niche. And just don't go the way of automotive. I see it happening with automotive. I know we have a healthy industry out there for HD parts retailers now, but they need to figure it out. They need, it, it's critical. The timeline is shrunk. They need to figure it out. And if you're out there being an independent repair shop, I'm going to say the same thing as I say to the retailers. You need to provide value. Don't, if your whole business is just being reactive and dealing with what rolls through your shop, you need to start figuring out how do you provide value to your customers, Right. You need to figure out how can you let them know when they need maintenance is, what are the repairs they need, provide them assistance and what to spec or what not to spec. But you need to find a way. I'm just throwing ideas out there. You need to find a way to make you make yourself valuable to your customers that you're fixing their trucks. So with all that said, again, I'm hoping people listen to this and not thinking I'm too crazy off my rocker. I'm just trying to show you what we see, what we coming, what we see coming. And as always, I appreciate comments. I appreciate feedback. Leave them in the, leave them in the comments. Hit, hit us up. We have the DL at diesellaptops.com. You can always hit me up at Tyler at diesellaptops.com. I'm on, I'm all over the social media platforms. We love your opinion. We love having conversations like these things. But I see a big shift coming. It's coming faster than you think. The flywheel, as we say around here, spins faster and faster and faster. And I think when you look at what's going on in the outside world, you would probably agree with as well. It's not just the things I talked about. It's all the other things. Pick up a newspaper, go to a financing page on the internet. You will find billions of dollars getting dumped into these categories by not just manufacturers, but by investors, speculators, dreamers. They're all over there. There is so much money floating around that things are happening at such a quick space. You need to be ready. You need to think about the future. And with all that said, I want to appreciate you for watching this if you're on YouTube. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or anywhere podcasts are played, we really appreciate it as well. And, you know, as we sign off here, just think about the future. Think where your brand is. Think where you are as a company. You got to make some changes. Things are happening. 
and hopefully we'll all be around for a long time. So with that said, just keep in mind, it's not always diagnostics, it's diagnosis done right. Keep an eye to the future. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening.